Financing a business made simpler. Now, there's an appealing concept, isn't there? Hi there, Brian from Franchise Simply. Delighted to have you at another one of my franchise radio shows and delighted to have Mike Coombs. I'll explain a little bit more in a moment. Um, but just a reminder to those of you who are regular listeners, have your notepad and pencil available um, and uh, so that you can make a, make, a, make a note of anything of interest and I'm sure you'll hear a few points. Um, and also to say that um, we'll get the ball rolling. I met Mike Coombs in 1987, on the day of the stock market crash. <laughs> we were just sharing this information together off screen. So I've always respected him, worked with him for a number of years um, when I was with my partners at the Franchise Alliance and always respected him as one of the most trusted and reliable brokers in the franchise industry. He's, he's had accumulated 41 years in the industry and in 2020, he was inducted as the third only inductee into the Fast Hall of Fame for services to the industry. So he's, he's a man who stands as a pillar within the finance sector and uh, he to be congratulated on nearing the completion of his MBA as well. So uh, he co-founded South Shore Finance in the mid nineties um, and they are accredited with many major lenders from top banks to private lenders and are one of the longer established private owned finance brokers. Um, recognized by score, they've got scores of industry awards they've received at South, South, um, South Shore. Um, and um, they've been really recognized re readily as experts in the sector. Uh, Mike has a special understanding of franchising, having worked tirelessly to help people like Automasters expand nationally. Mike, welcome to you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Brian. Um, anything you'd like to add to the bio there? I think you've got it pretty well covered. Um, a, bit, uh, a bit scary to think how long we've been in business for now. <laughs> As you were saying off screen, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's what you've been doing is gaining experience. That's it. Exactly. Not getting older, just getting more experienced. Exactly. And that's what we're here today to do is to share the experience that we've accumulated. And uh, just let's go straight into it. Um, finance can be a very complicated matter and it is it's often life and death between um, selling a business or recruiting a franchisee, anything like that. Obviously, there's lots of other areas that finance is involved in. But what's the picture today for, for raising finance to purchase a business, Mike, especially, I suppose, looking at franchising? Um, it's been quite a roller coaster over the last 18 months or so since uh, COVID hit. Um, I mean, in mid last year, uh, it was very difficult to get finance for any type of business, let alone a franchise. Um, the banks were just coping with the fallout of COVID and uh, deferring loan repayments, expecting that they were going to have massive write-offs with bad debts, et cetera. And then around August, September last year, uh, things started to turn when people realised that uh, the economy wasn't as bad as what they feared. Um, but the banks were still sort of hesitant. But over the last few months in particular, we've seen a lot of appetite come back into the market. And the low interest rates have certainly helped in that case. But um, there are still areas of concerns for the banks, uh, and they are focusing on businesses uh, that could be affected by COVID in the future, um, primarily through lockdowns. Um, logistic issues are starting to have an impact on certain businesses as well. So the banks have a, a, a traffic light system that they put on businesses, green, yellow, and red. Um, I'd say that a lot of retail businesses are sitting in the yellow uh, category at the moment. Right. So when you're when you so there's a lot of businesses in uh, logistics. 
Yeah. 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 yeah there, there are those sectors where it's been painful, where, where, wherever you are in the country or wherever you are in the world. Uh, um, and as you say, it's, it's fluid. We don't quite know what's happening next. So looking then at... Um, it's fluid. That's correct. And um, with, with franchising in particular, um, it's an area where I'd say that the banks, uh, they're supportive, but a little bit on the cautious side. Um, there's still a bit of fallout from the recent inquiries into the industry, uh, a few changes happening through the industry. Um, so the, the banks um, have had some concerns in that area, but it, it appears from what I've seen that there's uh, off the back of those inquiries, the new changes that have come through with the franchising code of practice, that the banks are saying that there's really some very good franchise systems out there who have taken on board uh, the changes and have uh, uh, lifted their game and uh, now considered to be very professional businesses. Right. Okay. Now that's helpful. So, what's the first question you ask? You know, if I came to you and said, you know, I've, I've got a finance request, how can you help me, Mike? What do I need to do? The first question I always find I ask myself that once I look at uh, or meet with a client and look at all the information is, does it make sense? Um, if, if it doesn't make sense, then then obviously more investigation is required. Um, but it's amazing the number of times that people put a proposal to you that. Yeah, you just sit there and scratch your head. Uh, I was just looking on one yesterday for a client who was uh, looking at buying uh, a small franchise uh, business. Um, and they were looking at giving up a very strong salary and going to a business that uh, was not much more than getting on Centrelink. Um, and they have this dream of running their own business, um, but the financial history of that business yeah, couldn't support their mortgage, let alone uh, supporting a new loan for the business. Wow. So yeah, it just didn't make sense. Um, and so sometimes part of our role is to to raise that issue, educate the client, and make sure that they're going into a project with their eyes open. That it's not all based on emotion, um, but there has to be some logic behind it as well. Yeah, look, and I guess that's why I've always had respect for you because evaluating those things before it goes to the bank is what enhances your credibility so that when you go to the bank with something, they know that you've, uh, you're pretty serious and the people have probably, probably ticked a couple of boxes already. So part of that process of ticking the boxes means being prepared. Obviously, this particular person you spoke to hadn't really thought through it other than it being an emotional decision, which, you know, People are inclined to make, but it's it's not a practical one when it comes to finance. So, what 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 are what are the sort of things you need to come armed with if you're going to be speaking to someone like yourself and you're going to be putting a serious application to the bank for buying a business, Mike? Um, a, a plan, and and some people you know might refer that to as a, as a business plan. Um, I've got to admit, I'm I'm not overly a big fan on business plans. Um, because there's no point having the plan if you're not able to execute it. Um, and I've seen cases where people have spent huge amounts of money, time and effort putting a business plan together that just sits on the shelf and collects dust. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's uh, important to have a, a manageable document. You, you need to put your ideas down on paper um, and, so, and review it from time to time. But don't get sucked up into having to do this massive document covering every possible uh, eventuality in the business that may never happen. Um, I think the most important issue, though, to focus on is cash flow. Um, and there's a lot of 
small business people who, who don't understand the cash flow of their business or the business they're going into. And I think we've all been in a situation where we've seen lots of businesses over the years that are very, very profitable, uh, but can actually go broke because cash flow doesn't equal profit. So that would be my number one focus to the client saying, understand your cash flow. Right. And in this sort of business plan or proposal, um, however you describe it, um, it, you sound, it sounds like it's going to be fairly informal, fairly limited in size, but it's, there are some, some essentials, obviously, like you say, some simple budgets and cash flows and no blue sky, not what you could ultimately do if you manage to get 10% of the Australian or the world market. But looking at it realistic, what are the other ingredients they need to, to have something that the bank will look at? Yeah, I think one thing that they have to bear in mind when you're applying for finance is whatever documents you provide have to be uh, provided to the bank and they have to review them and assess them. Um, they don't want to be handed a massive business plan because they literally don't have time to sit there and read it and understand it in amongst all the other work that they're doing. So it might be zero. You may decide that you want to have a massive business plan for yourself, but that's not necessarily the one you'd provide to the bank. Uh, you'd give them a, a truncated version of it um, and really focusing on the areas that are relevant to a bank. And that's part of our, our role when we're putting those submission together uh, is to pick out the bits and pieces that we know are relevant to the bank. Right. So if, I, if I'm looking to buy a business um, and I'm needing some finance, um, I suppose I'm thinking to myself, do I need some guidance in putting this together? Because it's very easy, just like trying to write a book or an article. You get, you know, you get, you get off topic and so forth. You've got to keep it disciplined. Um, is that the sort of thing that I should go and see someone, you know, a potential finance broker to say, look, what, what do I need? Um, give me some guidance in that type of thing. Yeah, I, I think it's good to get uh, support from various professionals in the industry. Um, and being a lawyer, accountant, finance broker, um, probably the business plan, probably a combination of the finance broker and the accountant um, to help put that together. Um, but it's always a, a difficult one to decide how far down the track to go, how many people to get involved, how much cost you incur in doing that. Um, so quite often a client will come to us with the, the outline of their business plan um, and we'll, I'll reveal it for them give them some suggestions of the areas that need to be firmed up on um, and they can go away and work on it again. Um, they'll get their accountants involved. When they start getting into uh, leases and employment contracts and uh, franchise agreements, et cetera, then they'll get their solicitors involved. Yeah, it starts to get quite complex. So, <clears throat> I mean, if you're looking to buy a house these days, particularly the way the market is currently, um, you need to, before you go along to an auction or go to even visit a home open, you need to already have a, a preliminary sort of, I suppose, finance approval indicative from, from the bank. Is it a bit the same with the business? Should, be, should you be doing this homework before you start looking for your business? Very much, yeah. It is, it's virtually impossible to get a pre-approval for a business loan. Um, there are so many factors involved in each business um, that it, it is important. It's very impossible to get that pre-approval. Even if a bank did give you a letter of comfort, um, it would have so many holes in it that it's not worth the paper it's written on. 
So we find that um, the, the best option for the client is, is to come and meet with us uh, and say possibly their accountant as well. And we can do an assessment on their overall financial position and give them a guide as to how much they can afford to raise to invest into a business. Uh, give them an idea of the bank's appetite for certain types of businesses, uh, the security requirements, repayments. Um, and with that information, they can sit down with their accountant and, and start looking at the cash flow side of things. And importantly, what is in it for them at the end of the day? Um, is there a reasonable profit to justify the level of investment that's being made to justify the risk? Yeah, so, so this, this understanding of cash flow which business business owners have a reputation of being being pretty appalling at. Let's face it, most people don't have cash flow budgets and so forth. But uh, so it's important they get their head around that. Um, so is that something you suggest to go off and see their accountant and just get an understanding of, rather than sort of do those things blindly? Yeah, absolutely. I think the number one for them to focus on is understanding the difference between cash flow and profit. Um, and quite often we'll have a discussion with the client and they'll say, they've received their tax returns and they've made a $100,000 profit. And they said, but where is it? You know, it's not in the bank. Um, well, it's probably sitting there on stock on the shelves. It's sitting there in your debtors. Um, yeah, it's sitting there, you paid tax. Um, so unfortunately, um, yeah, what was showing on the P&L as a profit uh, is not what you have in your pocket. And, and a lot of people struggle with that concept. Yeah, that's where looking at some projections are concerned. So particularly if you're buying a business and you're going to be, as people often do, you're going to be saying, okay, I'm going to do this business up. I'm going to spend a bit of money on it. Um, it's actually allowing for those capital expen expenses in your first couple of years. Um, where you're going to be perhaps buying new equipment or additional equipment and that sort of thing, because that, that that's something that doesn't necessarily affect the P&L, but it affects your cash flow. It affects your cash flow. And then you have to take into account your tax position as well. Um, one of the, the classic mistakes that people make um, is with all good intent of either one, investing in the business, as you said, uh, on CapEx, or paying down debt rapidly. Um, but they forget about the impact of tax and uh, the number of times we've had to or we've had clients who had to come back to us to increase their facilities so they can pay the tax bill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they've thought they've done the right thing in paying down debt, but they forget about the point that the tax man still wants his share of the profit. So making sure you consult with a with a with a credible tax advisor, albeit your accountant or someone of particular experience. Um, to get an indication of what your tax is likely to be. Uh, we, we all yeah. know we wait with apprehension. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I'm, I'm a big believer in, in uh, doing that calculation of what you believe your tax will be and putting that aside uh, each month or each quarter. Um, so it's out of your day-to-day -day working account. Yeah. Um, so out of sight, out of mind. So much as you put your cap, you know, your funds buy for your bears you should be putting a percentage of your turnover through um, through into a suspense account to cover your end of year tax liabilities is what you're saying, basically. Yes, yeah. I think um, one thing that's just happening in the market at the moment, which a lot of people aren't aware of, is that the ATO um, have now changed their processes and are now able to report late tax payments on your credit file. Um, that's never happened before. 
So we've moved into a uh, era of um, the a new positive reporting credit regime. Um, and, and as part of that, yeah, the tax office that will now report on your credit file whether you're late in making your quarterly annual tax payments. That will have a big impact on your ability to borrow. Right. So what's, the, very aware of that. what's the lender's view going to be then when they, they, they do their traditional sort of credit search and find that? Uh, what's their reaction going to be? Uh, the first question they'll ask is around uh, management. Uh, are you able to manage your business? Can you manage your, if you can't meet your tax bill, what, what are you doing with the money? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the banks in, uh, in general are very uh, concerned about any ATO debt. Um, and in, in the past, it's only sort of come to their attention if you have had to either had action taken against you by the ATO um, or had to enter into a payment plan. But now it's going to be right in front of the lenders as soon as they do a standard credit inquiry, it'll show up what your payment history is. Yeah, because coming to arrangements is, you know, traditionally been a fairly common and easy process. You know, I owe you 10,000, can I pay it off? And they say, yeah, okay, a couple of thousand a month or something like that, we're happy mm. with that. So something like that would now appear in your credit history. Correct, yep. Mm. So, yeah, it's, um, and it, it actually applies to a whole range of uh, creditors, um, even in your, your power bills, uh, telephone, etc. All those accounts, the payment history will now show up on your credit file. Wow. So if people have been in the habit of um, waiting till they get the second reminder or yeah, now they need to focus on paying by the due date um, because it's, it's, they call it open banking and it started coming in mid last year and it was designed to make the process of obtaining finance easier. Um, so up to then, every time you applied for a loan, you had to provide a whole heap of bank statements and tax returns, et cetera. Under this system, you don't, we shouldn't have to provide all those statements because now the bank has access to your payment history, whichever lender or provider that you have. Um, great in theory, but we're already starting to see the consequences that if people have had a little blip on their account, and a lot of that has happened through COVID, that's now sitting on your file for the next five years. Wow, I can appreciate. So you've got to keep your house in order continually if you've ever got, you know, if, if in the future finance may be something you're looking for, irrespective of what it would be for necessarily, you need to be conscious of keeping that credit history clean. clean um, absolutely. And five years is a long time for something to be sitting on your file. So you've mentioned even things like power bills and so on. So power bills, phone accounts, are there other things that come into play there, Mike, that you can get caught out on a, a little bit, you know? Well, even with your major suppliers, um, if they if they report the information through to the credit agencies, um, it, it's it's all there available for everyone to see. Right, so, uh, okay, fine. So that's, that's a, I didn't realize it was that significant. So that's something for everyone to take, in, take into account. Um, just keep a house in order moving forwards. Yeah, not just, not, not just today, but... Um, uh, and I suppose the fact that you've managed to secure a loan doesn't mean you won't need one in a future date. It, much as you said, you, 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 know, you occasionally get clients who've 
not really taken their cash flow into account, get a tax bill, have to increase their borrowings. Um, you know, that's something that any business might do um, with, with serious and positive intent. You know, we need to expand, we want to open another outlet, that sort of thing. Those things are all going to come back and bite you if they've happened in the interim since you raised your initial loan. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they're the issues that you know, the banks will be focusing on um, going forward, especially as you know, the whole the whole economy is sort of evolving in that post-COVID period. But whilst things are, are reasonably good out there, the banks do have some concerns uh, about any other shocks to the economy. And they'll be looking to see how people managed their affairs through that COVID period. But that gives the banks a good indication of your management ability. Goodness me, that's 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 a big big ask for a lot of people, isn't it? If you're, oh, you know, you're caught in the calipers of COVID with whatever it might be, because it's lockdowns or product supply, as you said, which is becoming a huge issue. Um, yeah. So, so what what are the key decisions that, are, that someone needs to to make when they're looking at buying a business, Mike? Going back to that side of the equation. Um, I think the. The two major issues for people to focus on um, is how it's going to affect them in terms of lifestyle, uh, how it's going to affect their, their family, um, you know, their enjoyment of life, you know, it's going to provide them a, a challenge. Um, and then also looking at, at the returns that they're getting. And they're investing into a business. Like any investment, you need to get a return on that investment. Um, you need to be able to justify the effort and the risk that you're putting into it. So I've said to clients many times over the years, it's uh, there's no point buying a business that you love if it's going to send you broke. Um, and there's no point buying a business that's going to make a good profit if you if you don't actually enjoy that business or if it's going to affect your family life, your personal life, um, because you'll end up sending it broke. So you've got to find the balance between the two. Yeah. Yes. Uh, important considerations. You say, and as you said earlier in the piece, uh, a lot of people, you know, make these decisions based on emotion alone. And the reality is, yep, we all accept we're human beings. Emotion plays a big part in our decision making and our lifestyle. But actually taking these things into account and trying to envisage that change, uh, particularly people who've been in a in a sort of a thirty five hours a week sort of job, and suddenly they're going to be running their own business and find they're working. You know, it doesn't sound much, but 50, 60 hours a week and often more, um, it's a, it can be a strain on relationships, can't it? Absolutely. It's, there'd be nothing tougher than um, having to come home to the family and say, sorry, you know, we're, the business is a bit tight and so you know, kids aren't in private school anymore and the second car in the driveway has to go. Um, now you might be following your passion and running your own business, but uh, the family may not be overly happy about that. Um, so all that has to be taken into consideration. And, and I've certainly come across many transactions where clients have taken a significant hit in their incomes from going from employment into self-employment. But it comes with a plan. You know, they're, they're buying a business that is underperforming. You know, they've identified the opportunities and they've said, you know, we're prepared to tighten the belt and get through the next 12 months or so because if we achieve these uh, changes, you know, we'll hit a certain target and grow the business to another level. That's fine. No issues with that at all. Um, but when someone buys a business that is already performing as well as it can perform, 
and the income um, that it's generating is not sufficient to meet the current lifestyles um, or their debt position, then you have to sit there and, and question that and say, you know, why? Why are you doing this? Yeah. Yeah, yours is a tough role, Mike. I think you have to give people a lot of uh, home truths, don't you? Yeah, and I think that's where that experience comes into it. Uh, doing it for 40 odd years, um, I, I, we want clients to be successful. And if I can see the warning signs that that either you know, there's an issue with the business or there's the, the, the client is not really suited to the business or vice versa, I think it's part of my obligation to, to raise that question. Um, I'm not going to advise the client yeah, you know, yes, you have to buy the business or no, don't buy the business. I would raise the discussion point and get them thinking about it. Um, at the end of the day, it's their decision what they do, but um, yeah, it's just an obligation to at least get them to think about it. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks for that. Uh, it starts, starts, starts to put a whole new spectrum on the, <laughs> on, on the issue of raising finance. I, I was going to be edging, edging towards the close of our conversation and ask you how business finance has changed in the COVID era. I think we've pretty much covered that. Is there anything you'd like to add that you feel we may not have touched upon as regard to, to COVID and finance? Um, on, on the positive side with COVID, you know, interest rates are the lowest that they've ever been. Um, we're seeing transactions, uh, well-secured transactions sitting around the 2% mark. Um, the smaller business loans that are uh, secured maybe around the 3% mark. Um, that in, in all the years I've been in finance, I've never seen business loans at those sort of rates. So it is a great opportunity for people to go into business and be borrowing at such cheap rates. Um, and off the back of that low rates, the opportunity is then to, you know, to manage their debt levels over a reasonable period of time because uh, rates won't stay this low forever. Um, the, the government has been providing some good support to small business um, through the uh, what we call the SMEG um, loan scheme, uh, where we're now onto our third version of that loan that came out in COVID. The, um, that was just revised two weeks ago, and it's designed to provide the bank's comfort to provide lending to small business to allow for acquisition and expansion. And so the banks are now able to lend up to $5 million um, over a 10-year loan term at a subsidised interest rate. Um, and the bank or the government will provide the banks a guarantee for up to 80% of that debt. So it's, it's taking a lot of the risk out for the banks to back startup businesses or new acquisitions. So yeah, that's, um, that's definitely something that's we explore. Yeah. Mm, that's massive. So, um, so um, uh, I mean, you mentioned about interest rates. Uh, when I met you, we were paying eighteen to twenty percent for a mortgage. <laughs> yes, and I, I, um, I tell some of the, the younger borrowers when they're um, uh, quibbling over point one or point two percent. Um, I, I tell them the stories of the days when yeah, my first home loan was eighteen percent. And guess what? We survived. Um, it, I think it just taught us um, how to manage our money uh, and what were the priorities in you life. Had to, you had to be a bit more conservative with regards to that. So uh, not, 
Yeah, great, a great lower of your of your motor car sort of thing. Yeah, mm, I yeah. mean, such a we used to put put out whatever we had left in the bank at five pm went into overnight cash rate, and we'd get thirteen or fourteen percent for it overnight. It was it was extraordinary. But yes. enough of that. So, what if I don't have security, Mike? Um, okay, well that that does provide a challenge. Um, you know, the banks will be expecting that there be what they call some hurt money going to the transaction. So it's very rare, uh, even with this COVID smeg loan that government is providing, um, the banks will still want to see that you are putting something into the transaction, um, whether that be cash or equity and property. Um, it is quite common in, in business to have support from family um, or friends um, in the way of a, a guarantee. A little bit more difficult after the Royal Commission and, and some of the issues that raised, but but can still be done. Um, but you then also have to take on uh, the additional risk that comes with that, not only for yourself, but for the other party that might be providing the guarantee. Yeah. Okay, a lot, lot of depth covered there, Mike, which highlights the fact that if you're looking to buy a business or... Um, if you're looking to sell one, you need to find out so you can qualify your buyer. But if you're looking to buy a business, you, you really do some research and speak to an expert broker, someone in that space that really understands the breadth and the depth of the market uh, for these various issues. So you can canvas them, at least be prepared. Uh, nothing worse than putting an offer on a business and then finding you can't get anywhere near raising the money. It can be quite disappointing. Um, so yeah, It can be a very frustrating process. So, uh, yeah, I think the first step is, is to sit down with someone who can evaluate your position and give you that guidance as to what is your um, purchasing power. And then so we'll just modify that. Each, each business that comes along as an opportunity will have a different requirement for ingoing costs, for working capital, future investment. And so we have to plan that around. And, and you may find that um, you know, we may have qualified a client at a million dollars for the purchase of a business, but the one he uh, he or she finds might require two or three hundred thousand dollars worth of working capital. So that might end up reducing the actual purchase price to seven hundred thousand, so they can provide the working capital. Whereas another business could come at a million dollars and require no or minimal working capital, so they can afford to spend more of their budget on the actual acquisition of the business. Right. And of course, yes. overall, that, that overarching is making sure that the business is producing enough profit to service the level of debt that they want to take on. Yeah. Okay. Look, Mike, I think we've covered quite a range of things here, quite a lot to digest. And certainly my, my notepad is fairly well covered. But um, um, is there anything in closing that you feel you'd like to add that uh, comes to mind that? It's perhaps worth sharing with our listeners? Um, yeah, good question. Uh, I think just to be patient when they're looking at buying a business and try and put the emotion to one side. And it, it's hard. Um, when you go into business, you, you have to have a passion for the business. Um, so there has to be emotion involved. But when it comes to the decision to make that investment, you really have to put the emotion to one side and make sure that the numbers speak for themselves and don't be afraid you know to to spend some money with professional advisors 
um, to make sure that you're heading down the right path. Um, a few thousand dollars with a accountant or a solicitor could save you hundreds of thousands of dollars in your business. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, and just one point in closing that comes to mind for me, um, as a fran if you're a franchisor, uh, whether it's an emerging franchise or an established one, of course, having a relationship or a tick of approval from any lending authorities can be really very positive. Uh, how do you view that and how does one go about get, getting that, um, uh, that, that box ticked, Mike? Well, we, we work with a number of franchisors around Australia um, and when they have an inquiry from a potential franchisee, they refer them through to us to do that assessment for them to make sure that they are in a financial position to be able to raise the money required um, and that it's not going to put any undue stress on the business. So once the franchisor then has comfort that the person is able to raise the money, then they can go down their path of assessing them as whether they're going to be a suitable franchisee uh, for, the, for that business. Right. So, so we're what happy stage, to that service. Yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, well, what stage would, would you expect them to refer someone through? So someone like Order Masters who are, I notice are spreading across the country now, they come and you say, look, we've got someone in Townsville that's interested. What stage would you be wanting them to be to, to, to introduce a prospective purchaser to you? Right from the outset, from that first inquiry, because we, we can spend 10 or 15 minutes on the phone with a client, no matter where they are in the country. And so it's because we've been doing this so long, I can get straight to the point and work out the numbers and know very, very quickly whether they've got any potential to raise the money required. And... If, if they do, that's great. They can go back to the franchisor and continue the discussions. If they don't, um, I, I'm very, I don't like saying no to anybody. Um, I'd like to leave them with some suggestions of what they can do about their financial position that would then enable them to be able to raise the money. Um, and that might take six months, 12 months, two years, whatever. But at least if I can give them some guidance um, they can still continue that path into running their own business. Excellent. Mike, thank you very much indeed. Thoroughly enjoyed um, my conversation with you. It's amazing how the time gets chewed up and we're, uh, we're already getting close to the end of our allotted time. So really want to say thank you on behalf of not just me, I've learned a lot today, but our listeners as well. And I'm sure a lot of them will share it with people as well moving forward. So if someone wants to learn a little bit more about this process or wants to contact yourself, where where should they, um, where could they go, Mike? Um, the best place is on our website, which is www.southshorefinance.com.au and all our contact details are on there for myself and for my team. Excellent. Mike, I want to say thank you very much indeed again. Look forward to chatting again in the future when I'm sure as the market changes, there'll be reasons to come back and have another conversation. So just saying thank you very much indeed. And everyone, look forward to talking to you again soon when we have our next really interesting and captivating Franchise Radio Show interview.